they know the game really really well so they have really difficult questions to ask and difficult feedback to share so it's mm-hmm. it's like one part of the challenge is to acknowledge that you know players understand the game better Hey there, don't forget to comment, subscribe, and share this episode. It's really important for us. And now, to the episode itself. Hello, my name is Stan, I'm VP of Product at AppMagic. I'm your co-host here at Games and Names Podcast, a podcast where we talk about games and the people who make them. This podcast is brought to you in the partnership with AppMagic, an analytical service for analyzing mobile markets and gaining actionable insights. Today, we're talking about one of the most crucial things for mobile games, especially nowadays. We're talking about live ops, how to work with it, how to run it, how to operate a successful game in 2K24. And of course, I'm not alone. Today joining me is Vikas, ex-executive producer from Zynga, who has been working in the company for, just think about it, for almost 12 years, working with different games, with different products, and helping them to grow, prosper, and be really really profitable. So, Vikas, glad to have you tonight in our virtual studio. Hey Stan, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here as well. Thanks for the introduction. Like, I've completed close to 12 years and and I left Zynga last October. So, I've been enjoying the break (laughs) since then. But you mentioned about the kind of games and and the products that I have helped. So, in my last role, I was the uh, executive producer on CSR2 Racing, which is is one of the most popular and fascinating racing games on mobile. Before CSR2, I was the executive producer on on Farmville Country Escape, which is slightly more casual in terms of its genre. So I have a bit of experience across casual and, and racing mid-core. Vikas, you just mentioned it, you had a very vast experience working with different types of games. So you worked with uh, browser games, you worked with casual games, you worked with uh, racing games, and these all are different genres, even different platforms sometimes. But as far as I understand, for all of these games, you were working with live ops, you were running the live ops, you were making the operational part of the game. So how do you say, what is, uh, based on your experience, what part was the most exciting for you or the most challenging, especially comparing browser games to casual and to racing? It's a very interesting question. So uh, the the most challenging, actually, along with the challenging, it, it's also one of the most interesting parts of the role is, is uh, understanding players really well. So, right. so when you are when you are working on a game that's at a certain life cycle, then the game has also evolved and you have players of all kinds of maturity. So you have players who are fresh into the game going through that early play journey and then you have players who are slightly more seasoned and, and players who are like really hardcore and, and they have turned, they have like powered through the levels and having uh, an elder player experience. So when you try connecting the dots, you're kind of delivering you know, uh, joy to players via games to all kinds of players. And mm-hmm. it's really difficult to craft features and craft those experiences because players are diverse. <laughs> and, and it's, it is challenging. I remember the, the, like, what we have done a couple of times at Zynga is that we have had uh, various phone calls and sessions, uh, feedback sessions from players directly. So we have had conference calls with them and, and like just taking myself out of the equation and just looking at it from an outsider's perspective, like it was so fascinating to see that, you know, the players know the game so, so well. Right. Like I think, hmm. I think many of the players know the game much better, like in and out versus the teams that's developing. And that happens because teams do see a lot of changes over the player, over the development life cycle. But some of the players play on till 
you know for years and years and and they know the game really really well so they have really difficult questions to ask and difficult feedback to share so it's like one part of the challenge is to acknowledge that you know players understand the game better but the second part of the challenge is is to solve the problem for them and to give them you know more reasons to continue playing Wow, that's a really great answer. And I've never thought about this way. So yeah, I've seen that players especially really motivated and engaged in the game. They make all these Reddit forums, they make all these wikis, they are really deep inside of it. But the thought that for games especially that are running 5 years, 7 years, maybe even 10 years, sometimes the team can change throughout this period several times and there are players out there who were playing this game all this period so they know it better from the inside out and they've seen all the changes better than the new developers who came to the game the new game designers new managers so it's yeah it's a really good thought and i've never i've never thought about it and it's really challenging just to add on to that stan like i feel that it helps like it helps that the team sees changes as well uh, and this is you know something that that i have realized uh, only recently is like one part of the team one part of the exercise is to launch the game you launch the game and you're really passionate about creating those experiences say before launch but once the game is launched like i feel that like the game is no longer yours the game is defined by the player and then you need a new kind of mindset you need a mindset of serving the player so it, it like that mindset change is also important for the team and you need like more than anything to have the team that's managing the game to be representative of the players who are playing the game as well so you need players who are hardcore you need team members who are you know uh, really hardcore on the game and you you need team members who are relatively new you can actually get the best of what players are also seeing in the game right and and bring that kind of synergy in so it's 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 natural and it's actually helps game development a lot Yeah, makes sense. So balancing between the experience of new players and how they experience the game, and hardcore players who are really deeply engaged in it, and already know all the inside outs, and they on absolutely different level of experience from the beginners and newbies. Let's take a step back for a moment and try to, in general, understand why we are discussing live ops today, except for the fact that you've got a pretty vast experience in this sphere and it's really captivating but in general i'd say that right now live ops is more important than ever so launching a new game is only half even if not less of success operating it successfully for years that is the real challenge and the question is how you do it right what are the main approaches and pitfalls and how to plan your live ops especially when you haven't launched the game yet which is even more interesting so recently at app magic we've made a big research on the casual market what we found out is that only 0.6% of all games among casual games of course they become successful so it's really challenging to launch new games and we had guys from Supercell from Triple Dot from Voodoo in our podcast and all of them were saying yeah that the, right now it is really difficult to launch a new successful game so it is even more important to have a very successful good performing and good operating already launched game and that brings us to live ops and i'd say that it will be pretty fair to suggest that most of the companies on the market if they want to be successful they're going from launching games from trying to find the next big hit to operating and maintaining the game based on that let us try to understand what is defined as live ops first of all so from your experience how how would you call it what what is live ops million dollar question and, <laughs> and i think uh, i think different teams 
and this is my realization like and i think like different teams define live ops in different ways maybe it's it's also possible that different companies define live ops in different ways i remember i was in a room and there was a meeting that's happening and we were discussing about in this case csr2 and you know live operations and it was one of the first meetings that i attended and and like for me this was a relatively new uh, set of people that i was meeting with and and we were talking about live ops in such an intense way and and i remember in country escape we never spoke about you know uh, live operations as being so complex and players being so hardcore right where in csr2 it was the case uh, and I, i was i was the dumb person in the room who who kind of raised the question around hey you know like how does this team define uh, live ops right now right and and i remember mm-hmm. that uh, the the vp of the game he he broke it down into real simple terms right and i think and i think that you know that really helped define live ops to me in in a very simple way which is we are serving players who who need who have a very good reason to come back to the game or launch the game and there's a reason they launched the game and you know there's a purpose uh, that they need to meet and mm-hmm. our job is like the live operations team is mandate is just to make sure that you know they're able to do what they want to do like players are able to uh, come in launch the game have a clean experience have a lot of fun and if they have built connections engage with the connections they have made and that they have something exciting to look forward to right and and that's it and and in pure simple terms that's the purpose of live operations you you just need to make sure that you have you have a very clean healthy performing game that you have something exciting for players to always look forward to which means that there are you know there's content there are events that are planned calendar mm-hmm. of events and and you know ob- obviously you have all of these notifications that are set up that bring players back in many games now you have a, a crew system a co-op system where you can actually build deep meaningful relationship with like i'm calling them strangers but like they could be very close friends so over a period of time and that's exciting so in a nutshell is is live operations running that entire system and framework really well is is live operations while it sounds very easy it's it's definitely not it's hardcore but yeah it's i mean that's where that's why it's also a lot of fun Funny enough, you've mentioned the live ops calendar, running the events, and understanding how it goes. Because recently, we've launched at App Magic a new tool called Live Ops and Updates Calendar. And basically, what we do, we have a dedicated team who analyzes the market and all the top performing games in each and every niche. So, like 170 games right now, like a big bunch of games, and all of them are analyzed. So we've got the events calendar. We know what is going on. We have the descriptions, the tags, the screenshots, and you can see the connection between the running the event. and the exact revenue and downloads data. So basically it really helps to analyze how your competitors run the live ops events or top performing games run the live ops and what are the best performing events in your niche. So that's really helpful and that what really helps with the competitor analysis and I'm sure we will get deeper into it. But right now I'm pretty sure that during your experience like during this period of those years the approach to live ops changed as well. So probably back in the day uh, it was more of a yeah we've got a game and it's running surprisingly for us for years and we have something to do because the players return uh, they've seen all the content they've seen all the levels what can we introduce additional to it whether right now i think some of the especially experienced teams they think about live ops already when they launch the game so they know all right so at this moment this is the like the initial shell of the game but then in the upcoming six months we will introduce a b c then we will introduce features and events d so it's not just about the moment of the launch it's also the planning of the live ops right here and there because it's clear from the situation on the market that you have to think about it in order to be successful not just for one year for two years for but for years to come so 
say from your experience, how has LiveOps and approach to LiveOps changed in the industry? Quite a bit. And in the interesting piece is it's still evolving. And I, I suspect it it will, like, we'll see a lot more changes in the mm-hmm. next few years as well with, with the advent of AI and, and, and the tools that, you know, AI allows. But like, I remember the time when, like, my first game was Mafia Wars. So for, for you, like, if, if you have not played the game and for your <laughs> listeners, like, Mafia Wars, like, one of the first games on Facebook that went mm-hmm. viral right so and and that was fun like you know and i joined the team when it was definitely during a declining phase uh, the game was mm-hmm. no longer at the scale it was and and at that point i, I don't think we defined it as live operations like I, you you hit the nail on the head it was you know we we have a bunch of players who are very engaged right and for some reason they haven't left the game right mm-hmm. they're still engaging with the game and they like you know, uh, to continue playing, they like to play with their own uh, crews. So let's try to maximize, right? So at that point of time, you know, for us, it was a lot about fixing bugs. For mm-hmm. us, it was a lot about uh, releasing content, uh, right? We knew that players would love new cities. So we released new cities on, on Mafia Wars regularly. And it was about, like, to be honest, running a lot of sales that would help meet our, our revenue targets, right? So that, like, in a nutshell, was live operations then. And obviously, thinking has evolved a lot more. And if you look at how the industry has evolve like you will be able to figure it out like right now there is a lot more focus on maximizing ltv for off players right and you want to make Mm -hmm. sure that you're getting maximum returns from your players so now live operations is is a really good tool to make sure that you are having a much more deeper connect and a much more deeper relationship with players over the lifetime and therefore that like that ensures that you not only get a high ltv out of them but also uh, you have them within your network, right? So now your live operations like has evolved to a stage where it's it needs to be a machine. Like I, I feel uh-huh. it needs to be a machine. It needs to be a factory. So your live operations unit of sorts needs to be set up as a factory where like you are continuously assessing, reviewing what players are thinking, what players want and, and figuring out where to take them on their journey and delivering that, right? And, and that's where the, the interesting piece is because you don't know where players would want to go. It's uh, like you are guessing that players would would like to be on that journey with you but you might lose out a few players uh, you might get a new few new players right so your factory needs to be set up in a way to make sure that you are releasing something and then you're assessing right like uh-huh. you're reviewing hey did it work did it not work and then you go back to the drawing board like if it worked then you obviously double down on it and if it didn't work then you know you you learn something new right you you uh-huh. figure out that this wasn't a good experience for your players so that like in very simplistic terms like is where i think live ops is right now where uh the focus of, of the live operations team is to make sure that players are like you are having a very deeper connect with players over the lifetime and you need to maintain that or like I think from what I've just understood is is a lot of new games they're launched with the purpose of serving players for at least 10 years and if yeah. it's a decade long relationship then obviously you don't want to cut corners and you want to make sure that there is trust across both sides right so building that deep relationship is, is important now your live operations team is in charge of making sure that connection uh, relationship exists and thrives. You've just mentioned a very important thing. So as I see it right now, one of the main challenges when launching a good game with a good live ops is to thinking not just about the things that are important in the moment, but for the future as well. So how do I build this relationship with the players? How do I bring content? How do I bring event? How I entertain them for a dozen years to come? What is the like the end game, the the great plan of the game in order to be successful? And that is very understandable. So I think especially big companies like Supercell, that is one of the reasons they have their titles for years in soft launch because they want to be sure that there is a big connection with them and the players and they understand how to improve and maintain this game for a lot of years from your experience once again 
how do you think what are the main other pitfalls and challenges of running a good live ops especially nowadays so for any company out there what kind of advice can you give what are the trickiest parts or the things that you should consider in advance i think i covered it briefly earlier i, I think it's uh, i think it, one part of the challenges is that you need a mindset shift like your your mm-hmm. entire mindset needs to shift because still you haven't soft launched or maybe even like global launch like you feel that the game is yours and you have a very very good idea of what's the best way to define that experience for players and that's true like and it's also a very like i think it's definitely a very very hard part of the journey like launching mm-hmm. a game and creating a game but once it's done once it's out in the market then i feel that the game is no longer yours and players have a very good not a very good but like a very healthy weightage of that ownership right now then the role shifts from that ownership mindset for a game developer to being that kind of a, a service mindset like i mm-hmm. like giving the best best experience for players and listening to feedback and and iterating and incrementing and taking players along that journey like that is a mindset that doesn't really work out for a lot of game development teams like in in some cases what happens is you either need to have a much larger team that set up because like in the case of mm-hmm. supercell like you have really small teams running very oh, yeah. successful games for close to decades now but obviously like they are also from what i've read about trying to increase the size of their live operations team you need a mindset shift you need you need different ways of thinking for cracking live ops uh-huh. so that's one the second is like when you are launching the game itself you need to have live ops embedded in in your design thinking in some ways and that's one of the reasons why why a lot of games take a lot of time in soft launch to make sure that beta metrics or whatever it is that they're testing works out well and it's also important that like there is depth in that live operations framework uh-huh. at the end of the day like if you want your uh, games to be profitable then then you need to understand that you will be delivering you know events and assets content assets to players for a long 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 period of time right so you want to maximize the the value of those assets that are delivered deliver to players so that means that like in the case of CSR CSR2 players love cars right so uh, so it was easy for us yeah. to uh, it was easy for us to I, mean, I won't say easy uh, but it like at least we knew that players love cars and and like we could give cars to players in in the way that they would be continuously engaged uh-huh. for a long long period of time right so there would be a way for players to get those cars either through say a gacha mechanic or or via ip like you know and maybe after two months three months like it would be available in a much lesser valuable gacha right so you would be able to leverage that asset for a long <laughs> period of time and that's possible like in the context of csr2 because there is depth in that live operations framework and that allows for it right in some games you might not have the same level of depth and hmm. and therefore you will need to be a little bit more creative with respect to how you can make sure that the game is profitable over a long period of time right so so it's not easy but like it needs to be part of your design thinking at the get go and obviously you need to test and measure and like you know iterate uh, along all of this through through your soft launch phase Let's get a little bit deeper in the part about the key strategies and things that you have to use when running a successful live op. So apparently Zynga is one of the most famous mobile companies out there, especially in social gaming, running a giant portfolio. So I'm really wondering what is the Zynga approach to keeping the games profitable and engaging over the years, especially as you have worked with a big plethora of games. What are the things that came uh, and they were universal for any team that you've joined? Some approach that was for any genre, for any niche, things that you think that can be used and should be used by any developer out there based on your experience in Zynga. Or maybe vice versa, these were the things that not just you brought to the table, but also it is considered a standard in the Zynga as, as a company and you should do it this way. So I'm really interested in how it goes. 
I don't know the the right answer for that. I can just share <laughs> from my experience of what I've seen happening at Zynga. And you're right. Like I think Zynga is has is a master at running live operations for games. Like I would definitely put it in in the top two three. Mm-hmm. successful companies in the world of running live operations right now and that's because like i think i think what's been associated with zynga for a long period of time is uh, affinity towards data and and a lot of data driven decision making and i think mm-hmm. over the last uh, 10 12 years i've just seen that that focus going a lot more right like the entire organization has kind of doubled down on that and and there's a lot more focus on data and there's a lot more insights that come out of data so so you really know what clicks behind you know the vast audiences that play the game either either been in say soft launch or or once the game has launched right so so uh, so that data obviously helps generate a lot of insights which leads to a lot of effective decisions that get made so that framework is is very helpful so i think this is you don't need me to come and say that data is important data is obviously important but like it's definitely success stories to come out of zynga right i think uh-huh. just ensuring that data is a gold mine what has also evolved in in zynga is is the, the how closer these game developers are to players in some uh-huh. senses like i think um, the initial part of my career at zynga i think it was a lot more focused on on data but now i see that there's a healthy balance between data and like let's let's understand exactly what you know what players are talking about and generating insights from them so obviously there's a there are a lot of teams that speak to players and and interact with players and uh, we actually we have in zynga there was a team called consumer insights which uh, regularly ran focus groups and test and like you know give them bills and and would generate a lot of insights on what's working what's not working like i mentioned mm-hmm. we had a lot of conference calls with players directly i remember you know uh, one of my good friends at, at zynga used to uh, get calls inbound calls from players as well uh, this was during the period of mafia wars uh, when when he he missed a certain window for a sale and he would want it to open again right so, oh, wow. so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah all kinds of stories uh, so over the last several years there is a good balance between data and player insights coming in i think the third thing that zynga does really really well is like i mentioned it's a machine right and the entire mm-hmm. company is, is is a machine because you just such a wide portfolio of games and you have just so many teams so you have all of these experiments that are being run across different games and teams and and you get results of those experiments so if something is working uh then you obviously want to replicate that in in other games across your portfolio and if something is not working then you know that it's not working and therefore you would want to not replicate that in your game or at least in the same way right so you have this continuous learning that's set up across a portfolio of games and and there's a lot of collaboration and and don't get me wrong like i i think it's like you know now that i am out of thing i just like i'm astounded by the amount of collaboration that existed across all the central teams where you know there would be a bunch of readouts and knowledge sharing that would happen like regularly mm-hmm. every two weeks every every month right and and you could just reach out to anyone and and ask about hey what's working what's not working and these are not just about you know games that are within the portfolio these are also be games that are doing well outside in the market right so treasure trove of of knowledge in some ways I'm wondering. So, working with games as a executive producer running the live ops is a really interesting role because you you don't launch the game, you haven't been there from the beginning, you haven't made all the changes, you haven't built the architecture, you haven't built the gameplay. So basically at some point you come and you have to take an already, I don't know, build 
house, let us call it, and understand how it will be evolving in the future. So it sounds really challenging because part of the picture is, as you've said it, you might be less experienced with the game, especially compared to the players who've been there for years and years. Another one is that, especially for the, I don't know, for the first half a year, you don't really know what is the main thing in the game right now. And you have to make changes or to make choices of how the game will run. So how do you balance it? How, how do you work with it? Going back to the example that I gave, which is like, imagine this mm -hmm. is a factory, all right? And now you need to set up the factory in a way that you are able to run tests, run experiments and, and figure out what's working and what's not working and continuously like iterate. And, and now you need to build a team that is going to work in that factory in, in some ways. Like, so for me, I, I look at live operations as it's definitely challenging, but like you'll find success by not having say one hit or, you know, one feature that does well. Like you need to have, like you need to have it in embedded in your team. You need to have the thought process embedded in your team and therefore you need to set up your team for success, right? Mm -hmm. Where more often than not, like it's a difficult industry, you will actually see a lot of failures more than successes right so mm -hmm. so you need you need you need to set it up a, set it up in a way that you, you you launch something you look at the data you look you speak to players you figure out what's working what's not working and then you go back to the drawing board and and then you take another bet right so you have actually become wiser because one of the hypotheses didn't work out but you know like there is something else that you want to try uh so mm -hmm. so that's the part of the journey that uh, i think I would want to highlight where it's important to the team that launched the game they had a vision uh, but obviously like once the launch is done then then you need to iterate on that vision and now you need to set up set your team up for success in a way that they can continuously learn every you know incrementally every like for us it was every two weeks every four weeks we just want to get back together and see what's working what's not working and we would obviously get a lot of insights from every release and every event that that went out for players would also get almost daily insights from players on on what's happening with them and what they're liking what they're not liking and mm -hmm. and, and and that factory again forgive me for using that <laughs> word yeah that's, uh, that's totally fine so it's more about the process and the established framework yeah. that helps to if needed to interchange the people inside so yeah. Even if the person will be changed, you still will be sure that the result will be there. All the process will be built and the car or whatever in the end of this product line will be launched. Yeah. Taking from here, let us try to imagine a small experiment. So yeah. say, and this is an experiment, yes and I, my co-host, we love to run here at Games and Names. Say we are a game company, or okay. we could say we decided to launch a game company, you took a break and then you suddenly understood that, yeah, it's time to go full solo or with me and do it and run a company. So we want to be sure our next game will be a successful hit, not just in the moment, during scaling or during the first uh, soft launch or tests, but for the years to come. So how should we tackle this task? What do's and don'ts should we have in mind? Well, first of all, apparently, what is the best moment to start thinking about live ops and how to get it running when we are thinking about launching a game? Wow, okay. So let me take a crack at it, right? Like, I, I think, I mean, launching the game is definitely very hard and figuring out what kind of players you want to target, uh, what kind of game you want to make is definitely a difficult set of mm -hmm. questions that need to answer. So, and, and launching the game itself has, you know, so many milestones and gates that you need to cross, all right, for it to be at a stage where uh, you have sought launch and then, then you have launched. So you need to have live ops embedded in that thinking very, very, very early on. I think this is... Mm -hmm. is a realization that is very, very common across game development right now. The industry has evolved 
quite a bit like like it, it's given you need to serve players for at least a decade and therefore like you need to have your live operations framework there should be a lot of depth in your live operations framework so very early on you would want to create systems that allow for that kind of depth which is why like i wouldn't want you to pick a hyper casual game uh, hmm. those games don't have that kind of depth right now and yeah. while while there was a period where you know you could get a lot of audiences for lesser spend but now that it's not the case anymore right so you definitely have to spend a lot more to get that kind of audience and with dltv is also not killing a pass much like hyper casual is probably not the right kind of genre to to go for so i would urge you and just to look at maybe some other genre where you can get players which have a little bit more cheaply and with high ltv right and and into get high ltv then then you need to have a lot of your live operations depth in there so even during the pre production phase you would want to have you know at least a couple of slides or or a good finger on your pulse about how is this game going to monetize uh, mm-hmm. over its life cycle it's not just about launch it's not just about like if it's if it's like you know monetization and the initial set of bundles that you will sell and you know the grind that you know iap will solve for like it needs to be beyond that which is you know what does the event structure look like how do you plan to run the events like will it be run every month will it be run every two weeks what about season pass like do you have a season pass structure in there you know some games have subscriptions so you would you would need to kind of answer all those questions well in advance like now i see most of the games that are launching already have the top you know first 50 60 70 levels established where you would have at least before you reach level 30 level 40 you would have a, a co-op framework or a crew framework that mm-hmm. that comes in right so and and therefore once you have you have a bunch of players that come together and you have a crew system then then you just you need to have a way for crew to come together right and and they come mm-hmm. together when they have like some crew objectives that need to be met right so so again that's that's a like in some senses a live operations framework so so there is a lot more depth that is required at the initial stage of your new game ideation thinking now than what it was probably several years ago yeah yeah totally understandable from what we've seen from researching the games and deconstructing them we can see that right now for example live ops it is much more diverse and it's introduced much i think um much earlier in the games let's say than before so usually when you already know the basics of the core gameplay and the meta and you are into it and maybe you're starting to feel a little bit bored that's the moment we can you can see the first or maybe even a series of events and the game teaches you to be involved not just in the main game the core the meta the monetization part but also in the events loop so that when you are bored with the main part of the game you can spend time spend money and be engaged in the live ops as well and that is one of the things i, sh- I think you should be thinking about when launching a new game so you should be thinking in advance what is the moment when my player will be bored for the first time and will be ready ready to just you know close the game and go somewhere that is the moment when you have to introduce live ops when you have to introduce the first event when you have to just get something sprinkle some fun in, inside the yeah. system so that it gets going uh, like it's interesting you mentioned that because like i remember the time when i was on country escape and we were looking at mm-hmm. you know some of these uh, other games in the same kind of genre were doing and and it was like really exciting to see how <laughs> how ambitious township was during that phase where to to your point it's not only about the moment where you know your new place would get slightly bored and you would have some events that be turning up for them like for township they went to a place where they would actually show a lot of mini games and try out mm-hmm. a lot of mini games for even their elder 
audiences and and like for them it was a really good way to not only acquire audiences say for maybe cheap but also like to engage your you know engage players in a different mechanic in a different way right which would mm-hmm. keep the game fresh and they would just experiment like a hell lot of different mini games and and sort like so so obviously it was very inspiring to see how how ambitious they were and yeah and I mean, like like it's it's interesting that live operations can can mean a lot of like it means taking those bets and and seeing what works and what doesn't work But at the same time, I think there are ways to, you know, to increase the chances of your success. And part of this is uh, the market research and the competitor search. So especially when working in a game that is already established, launched, and you have direct competitors or indirect competitors, but you have niches nearby that might inspire you, I think you should totally check what is going on. So who is running the live ops? Uh, what are the events? What is included? What are the mini games that you might want to use? Or the monetization tactics? I think that like back in the day, Battle Pass wasn't a thing. Now you can see in almost every game out there it is or piggy bank i think it was introduced like a year and a half ago or two years now it's a standard for the industry especially for the casual games so there are things that you should really look after when analyzing the market and that can help you operating the game not just updating it but also running the events running the event calendar running the updates so are there any i don't know advice there so how did you usually approach the competitor analysis when talking about live ops and events how did you work with it i think uh, i have seen like during my period at farm 2 web like i i was inspired by the team that i was working with and mm-hmm. and i could sense that you know this team was really special because i think we all played the game really really well like played farmville 2 the game mm-hmm. really really well like we all understood the game really really well but the that knowledge existed beyond farmville 2 as well like and this was a phase when heyday was there and 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 obviously township was there and and they were doing a lot of interesting thing with their events we would always like understand our game and understand what they're doing with their game and hmm. and see where the differences were and figure out why they needed to construct certain mechanics in in different ways for their audience and why we needed to do different things in in our game right and and i think what i was what i'm trying to get to is is that deconstruct like just figuring out what competition is up to like it needs to come from within where hmm. like you need to as a game developer you need to like know your game in and out but also you need to continuously play your competitor games and understand what's working and what's not working for them it's important to be abreast about what's happening in the market mm-hmm. uh, right and like no one else is going to do that job for you i think in in large companies you have teams that do competitor deconstructs and share decks and obviously share a lot of learnings along with that but then you will not be able to generate enough insights from those presentations if you mm-hmm. don't play those games as well right so so it's important so i think what we try to do in in zinga in some of the teams that i was with was like we would actually have in some cases sessions where people would do deconstructs for competitor titles um hmm. right and that became part of our our culture like it would be like in some ways a show and tell of sorts where like people would come and and not only pitch about new and interesting things that you know they would want to introduce in our games but also have sessions around you know what this is a new thing that you know one of our competitors trying i really like it or i don't like it and then that becomes a conversation and then that becomes part of your that becomes embedded in part of your team culture in some ways right so it keeps the conversation thread it keeps you on your toes about what's happening and what's not uh, happening so that that really helps and obviously in hmm. in zinga you have uh, like i mentioned data so you have data that indicates what mechanics are working what mechanics are not and we had a lot of teams that did share information on what interesting things other uh, studios are trying right so having that kind of backing uh, in a big company like zinga is always helpful 
Totally, totally. I think the fact that you can use a big portfolio of games and all the data gathered for years and use it not just for the new games to be launched, but also for understanding how to operate in already existing games. And you've got peer games out there who say, yes, so this works and this doesn't. It doesn't really mean that it will work or won't work for you, but at least it's the initial step, the initial idea that will help you going. It's yeah. much better than having no thought at all and just, you know, going blindly out there. And that's one of the reasons we've made our tool as well, because we totally understand that's Usually, even in big companies, from what I've heard and from what I've seen, uh, you've got a dedicated specialist or a team of specialists, and they've all got these big Google spreadsheets with all the information about the competitors, yeah, the running the events, with lots of lots of spreadsheets there. So having these gathered in one place is much more comfortable, at least to see. I think this a really good moment to get to our last part. So usually here in Games and Names, we've got a small tradition. Uh, We tend to talk with each and every guest of our podcast about games that they want to recommend. So either this can be a game that they played recently and were really impressed, or the game that they played recently and they didn't love it at all, and they want to share it (laughs) the world (laughs) to know that this game is really bad. Well, sometimes it happens. In some cases, we might want to connect the game we're talking about to, to the topic of the talk itself. So in our case, for example, we can talk about the live ops or games that we really believe are running live ops like perfect. And I'm, I'm sure you can, from your experience, recommend Zynga, and you've already said it, that is one of the top performing companies, one of the top uh, shelf companies that run live ops really well. But from the player experience, how do you think, uh, what are the games that come to your mind that you can recommend that you love because of the live ops? Or vice versa, that you hate it because of the live ops? I'll not speak as much about the games that I, I didn't like. It's not because of live ops, but <laughs> I don't think we need to get in over there. Like, I'll definitely pick a game from Zynga, Tables, mm-hmm. that I feel is, in some senses, like gold class for live operations. Like Harry Potter, mm-hmm. Puzzles and Spells game mm-hmm. is fascinating. Like, uh, I recently started playing the game again, and the experience for me was like so smooth and I could immediately relate to where I left off I was part of the crew that you know when I left uh, was active uh, like when I joined like I'm, I'm part of uh, a different set of individuals but again like you know I'm, I'm embedded in that group in, in a really nice way I, I see that I had a streak mm-hmm. that uh, got activated you know so that entire ex- experience was uh, really smooth for me and I think it just goes on to say that you know uh, the team doing the job really really well and, and the game is really fun to play as well so Harry Potter does it really well uh, I'll give a shout out to one of the studios in India uh, who have launched Ludo Star. I think they are really innovative mm-hmm. with their mechanics as well uh, and, and they are running a lot of interesting tests and experiments uh, from what I understand talking to the team and, and it's really fun to see you know uh, a game from India that's doing really really well uh, widely so so Ludo Star is, is definitely a big shout out I would want to share I'm a big fan of Golf Flash like I've played the game I've, I've stopped the game I've played the game I've stopped the game so many times I, I like I, I feel it's it's like a love-hate relationship at this point of time but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like I, I think that game is easy to pick up and like mm-hmm. if you understand the the mini game part of it really really well it's it's really enjoyable the hard part is obviously like you lose and then you feel that you have wasted you know good three minutes four minutes of your life uh, <laughs> losing and then it's not going to get anywhere that you're not meant to play golf uh, <laughs> but then you still feel you know like oh let me give it one more shot so and I think their entire you know uh, the the structure for live up which is also set up in an interesting way I think their season pass is very very like smooth uh, like I have converted on golf clash uh, more than once mm-hmm. so Nice. Those are three games that come to my mind. Perfect, perfect. Really good, good choice. So from the top of my mind, I'd say that I have the same love-hate relationship with Wild Rift. 
So <laughs> I have deleted, I then launch it, I play it for a week like crazy, then I delete it once again. And I really appreciate that each time I set up it once again and try to play, it changes a lot. So apparently there are players out there who spend hours and hours daily to play it and it should be fresh for them. But at the same time, it's easy for me to pick up, even though I haven't played it for the last half a year or even for the last year. And it's I think it's really difficult to maintain this balance. So to bring new changes, bring new content, new heroes, new balance changes, but at the same time be pretty open to all the players that drop the game at some point and then continue it. And it's one of the most, I think, difficult things for running a good live ops. Yeah. Serving both the players that are new to the game, the players that are hardcore and really into the game and continue playing, and players that are like waves going there, going out and then returning. So Wild Reef is one of the examples of games that I really think they do it really well. Another one is Fortnite. So I think it's a really great example of a cross-platform game. Yeah. who runs live ops brilliantly they not just run live ops they make a big show out of it they always like uh, have new updates with a big thing going inside the game Absolutely, with uh, new topics and right now i think with the new update it tries to be to become a metaverse of some kind to include lots of other games of different genres inside the game so it's the like the next level of live ops the next level of how you can approach the games in general and i really love it because both from the player's perspective and from the developer's perspective it's just really fascinating. Yeah, Fortnite is definitely going where, like, boldly going where, uh, like, no other team has, has gone before, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. It's it's like, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. And the third one, and I think this will be an example of a live ops running not really well. So back in the days when I was uh, a student, we, we spent hundreds of hours playing StarCraft II. First Winds of Liberty, then Heart of the Swarm, then afterwards Void of the Legacy. And it was fascinating, really good times. And recently I was visiting my mates in London and we decided, you know, to, to feel it. Friday evening, some pizza, boys, the, all the pieces and the notebooks gathered around one big table and playing together. And you know what? Uh, we yeah, yeah, of course, we downloaded the client, we launched it. And each time we tried to play as a party, either launching a custom game or trying to find a game, usually trying to launch a custom game. I think nine out of 10 times it crashed. So basically there was some kind of error. We had to, you know, leave the party, join the party once again, go out of the game, return to the game. And there was no whatever reason for that. And I remember it clearly. So back in the day it was working like perfectly. So I think the main reason is because the game is not so fresh and it's not maintained as it should be. And that's yeah. one of the, so uh, for us, of course, we are not the, I'd say the main uh, user base right now. We decided to return to the game after what, after five years, six years, 10 years even. Definitely not. But if you continue to maintain the game, this is the bare minimum of what you should be aiming for. At least that's what I think. Absolutely. And I think like you touched upon, like we didn't get into it in depth for this conversation, but like for live operations, you need to have a really good pulse of the technical debt that you're incurring. Yeah. And it it's a debt, right? Like you need to pay it back at some point. And like that's one of the architects in our team always to keep saying. So this prioritizing and figuring out how you want to handle that is one of the key decision points. So it looks like it, it wasn't made in, in, in the example that you gave. Yeah, yeah, seems so. Absolutely. So uh, one of the really important parts of live ops is uh, thinking about it from the technical side of the question, not just about engaging the players and having them return returning to the game and playing it, but also, will this game be running in five years, in 10 years? Is the architecture good enough? Are the servers good enough in order to be maintained? Yeah, in some points, and we know about these games, they are not, um, there is a decision that they will not be maintained and the servers are closed and it's totally understandable. But at the same time, if you decide to run game in the long term, be sure that your technical part of the question is good enough to it to run, not yeah. just the custom 
maps made by the players, not just the different modes made by the players or by the developers. They're brilliant, no questions there. But the technical side, it was kind of embarrassing. Not, not, not what I've expected, honestly. We had a good laugh about it, but I think like five or ten years ago, if I've stumbled upon it, I would just delete the game and never return to it. So you should be aware of these kind of situations and you should be prepared for them as well. Good one. All right. Uh, then I think it's a good moment to call it a day, because thank you so much for joining us. It was a really fruitful conversation. We've tackled a lot of interesting topics. I really hope that for our listeners and viewers out there, there is a much better understanding right now how to work with live ops, what are the pitfalls and challenges, what are the things or main insights that can be taken from this episode and integrating their work right here and right now. And we've also shared a bunch of stories, and I think it's always great to, you know, uh, when you're listening to a podcast and you can hear someone sharing their experience, be it good or bad. So thank you very much. It was really great to have you today. Hey, Stan, it was my pleasure and good like to, to get on a, uh, on a on a video call after what seems like ages. <laughs> so so I, I, <laughs> yeah, treasure yeah, this, <laughs> I treasure this uh, as well. And, and this is one of my first podcasts. So, so I'd be happy to get any feedback uh, from your listeners as well. All right. Yeah. So everybody out there, if you've got some feedback, especially positive, please yeah, join us in the comments, join us, ping us, uh, leave us a comment so that we know that everything is good and we're doing the right job. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you to all of us, uh, to all of you. <laughs> Sorry about it. To all of you who not just joined, but listened to this moment. You are the best. Remember it. And have a good time. See you next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.